Welcome to Pep Talk, a podcast from the Professional Edge Project. My name is JP Edgington, I'm the head coach and creator of the Professional Edge Project, and in this podcast, I'll be talking about how we can enhance our personal and professional effectiveness, how we can increase our mental resilience, how we can increase our calm, our composure, our confidence, our capacity and our capability, all for the benefit of our professional and our personal lives, since each has an impact on the other. If you like what you hear, I'd love to hear from you. It would be great if you could share it as well. But more importantly, more important than that, if something I cover resonates, then I urge you to take some action off the back of it. Even if it's something small, take some action off the back of it. Information is pointless without application. Thanks in advance. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy days to listen to this, but I really hope that you get some value, you get something that can actually make your lives a bit easier, give you some clarity on your day, give you some more confidence and allow you to go out there and and do what you do best. Let's go. Welcome, Pep Talk, next episode, episode 41, I believe. So this episode is going to be a two-parter, kind of linked um, on a common theme. So we're going to start with um, how many of us might be feeling a bit more tired at the moment, Um, which might seem odd, maybe when we're not going out as much or doing what we would normally do. So we're going to have a look at that. And then in part two, we're going to look at um, struggling to sleep. You know, dealing with minds that are racing at night when, you know, we're trying to um, get ourselves to sleep. And I'll try and put a bit of um, context, a bit of background information around that um, with the aim to try and create a bit of patience and empathy for ourselves. Sometimes if we can understand why things are happening, um, it makes it easier to deal with and then maybe suggest a couple of strategies. Now, these are always going to be generic um, and as I've mentioned in various Facebook posts or emails, if you're on my email list, you know, if if you want some more specific advice with this and some more help, then just get in touch. You know, there's no cost, there's no strings, there's no sell. It's just in this situation that we find our in, I find ourselves in as we record this, is April 4th, um, 2020, that I want to be able to help those that... um, could benefit from my help, if that makes sense. Um, and like I say, now more than ever is, is the times when we need to be um, as effective as possible for ourselves, our families and our, and our organisations as they're all under increased strain, increased pressure and the ability to be calm and composed and stay confident, um, to be able to you know, conduct ourselves in the way that we want to be um, to deal with things with a good degree of rational and considered thought rather than overly negatively emotion is, is going to serve us all well in these times. So, um, yeah, if you would like some more specific help, if whatever I talk about kind of comes close to, um, you know, providing you with some support and answers that you need, but not quite, then get in touch. Okay, just get in touch. Um, so, 
let's move on to feeling a bit more tired than normal. And this is something certainly that I've recognized in the past few weeks is how more tired I've been feeling during the day. I'm just generally a bit more drained and so on. I've been training um, pretty regularly, but no more intensively than before. And it's my routine, like many, has changed for sure. But we used to work a lot from home anyway. Um, but I, as, as is my way, I've been trying to look at this in different ways and asking the questions, you know, okay, why is this? Why am I more tired? What, what, what's, uh, what's going on here? And some of this might be pretty obvious. Some of it might not be. Um, but pretty obviously, over these few weeks, for a lot of people, probably I would go as far as to say as the vast majority of people, our routines and our structures have all gone to pot, changed massively, or like I say, to just have, have disappeared completely. You know, our normal routine of drop the kids off to school maybe and go and do this and go and do that, the way we shop, the way we even eat, the way we go about our days, um, the way we work has changed massively. Now, all of these routines, even just one routine, one structure, if that was to be shaken or removed, say we had um, a child that was poorly for one day and then we've got to stay home for one day to look after that um, poorly child, just that one day could throw off our work. Just if we went to go to the supermarket for one day, but that, for whatever reason, the supermarket had a power failure, we couldn't go to that supermarket. Having to change to a different supermarket, having to change the day or the time that we shop could throw us quite a lot. But as we are all aware, a vast majority of the aspects of our lives have changed in a very short amount of time. As we speak, about a month ago, only one person in the UK had succumbed to COVID-19. And now here we are just a month on and probably by the end of today nearly 4,000 would have. As it was last night, it was like 3,600. Um, so I will expect that to be over 4,000 today. And those routines, those structures, however small, are there to ease cognitive loading, to ease the amount of thought that we have to put into things. We are creatures of habit. When they're good, that's great. We're also a creature of bad habits. But when we are a creature of habit, and we are a creature of habit, we are so because it makes our lives easier. Okay, we go to the same supermarket, we take the same routes to work, we, we get into the same patterns. Um, because they make our lives easier. But, and, and so it's pretty obvious then, when you think about it, that when all of those patterns that we have created in our lives to make our lives easier, to reduce the amount of thought that goes into things, when they are missing or um, 
broken, then it requires from us a lot more thought. Just the mere act of going shopping requires a lot more thought. Just the act of, say, going for a daily piece of exercise requires a lot more work. Can I go here? No. Should I do that? What time am I going? You know, I'm jogging down the street or going for a walk. I see people I've got to, normally I would just, you would just run past a person. Now I'm thinking, okay, I need to, I need to stay away from them. The two minutes, how far, which way am I going to go? Everything requires that much more thought. A delivery comes through the door. Normally you just take it, you just open it and away you go, you know. Um, but now, no, something comes through the door, okay, how many people has that gone through in the past 72 hours? How many of them are likely to be, um, you know, carriers of the of the, the disease? And, and, and is that still going to be on the parcel? How do I deal with that parcel? And it's understandable that many people are feeling anxious and overwhelmed because we feel overwhelmed when we have, you know, when our capacity is maxed out or it's exceeded and we have all these habits and we have all these routines to help us with our capacity to be able to deal with things okay we have strong routines and if we have to tweak one well we've got the mental headspace the mental capacity to be able to do that but bringing back to the point of this is we will feel more tired because we have to put thought into practically everything no longer can we rely on these routines and these habits and these structures that we've previously um, created and come to rely on. And I, I use the term, you know, mental energy or mental energy leaks um, a lot. And for good reason. The function of the brain takes calories it takes energy it takes effort okay and i'm sure you've you've all had exceptionally busy days at work where you've been you know physically very um static but your mind has had to work really hard and then you're exhausted at the end of the day um and that's even in an arena before this happened where things are relatively familiar let alone how we have to think about practically every aspect like I say shopping dealing with deliveries to you know um, schooling our children to dealing with or or maybe arranging food for um, vulnerable relatives Um, there is a lot more to think about just in managing our day-to-day lives let alone having to process, come to terms and deal with what's going on in the wider world and potentially combating, balancing out the seemingly dependent on on the inputs that you, you expose yourself to, you know, the amount of media coverage, social media coverage on what's going on in the world. Um, is going to lead um, to a lot of fearful thoughts. In itself, not a bad thing. But when we start to catastrophize and panic, then that is obviously um, 
a less helpful thing to ourselves and as we've seen to um, our communities and society. Fear in itself is a good thing. Fear is what keeps us alive. It may well be fear of catching the disease or spreading the disease or um, increasing the pressure on the NHS. It's that fear that keeps us at home, that keeps us washing our hands, that keeps our um, trips out the door to a minimum. So in that respect, it's useful. Um, but when the fear of missing out, when the fear of losing our routine and losing our freedoms seems more real and apparent than the fear or risk of, of getting a disease, and that's where we see um, you know, a fear not being helpful that we see maybe a couple of weekends ago with mass um, kind of crowds going to the national parks or going out on a um, sunny weekend. Um, but it seems like hopefully people are more sensible now and they're, and they're better able to use fear more appropriately and um, stay at home and do the right thing. But in dealing with that, in making these decisions and being aware of what's going on, all of that goes back to this subject of this part one of this episode of we will end up feeling more tired. Now some of you might be thinking yeah no surprise there you know that's pretty obvious I don't know but kind of my point for this is sometimes we can just be going on and questioning why we're tired I should be able to do this I should be able to do that you know it's not like I'm having to drive it's not like I'm working as much it's not like I've got to think about what I'm wearing for work I can just slouch around and whatever um, but there is very good reason why we will be more tired because we have a lot more mental loading okay um, and there's a couple of things we can do about this and, and this is what we want to get on to obviously is, is Partly providing this kind of perspective, one of my aims is that you can just cut yourself some slack, okay? Give you a bit of patience and empathy for yourself. Manage your own expectations. You're not going to be able to deliver schooling to the same level and degree as you would do in the classroom or your teachers would do in the classroom. Um, the environments, the routine that ch our children have of going into school and the habits of listening to teachers um, just aren't there. Um, the difficulty I have in just uh, trying to get, say, my eldest to sit down and do some homework, I've got to time it um, very well and not push it and so on. And now, you know, we're looking to try to maintain... Um, you know, her schooling or, or their schooling as, as we move through these, which will be, let's face it, months, not just weeks. Um, and certainly up to the summer holidays. And you see a lot of people, a lot of parents getting stressed and anxious and putting pressure on themselves because they aren't able to deliver a, what they deem as, as a good enough, you know, level of schooling and one question there would be well manage your own expectations again because beating yourself up because you're not as productive 
in your work or you're not as productive um, in helping your children's schooling or you're not as productive or as effective in managing your own home, well, hold on. What are you measuring those expectations against? How you used to work before this? How your children were doing in school before this? Yeah? Or how you were able to manage your house? Or your household? Your personal life before this? It's an unrealistic expectation. Everything has changed. And a lot of uh, energy can be spent. Almost, if you like, I've spent a good kind of period of time, 10 days, almost two weeks, in kind of a, I wouldn't say a spin, but in a bit of a weird bubble where I've, you know, all of my goals and aims and things that I'd set up for the year have literally been screwed up and thrown in the bin. And, you know, I'm kind of lacking routine. I'm lacking a degree of purpose. I'm lacking, um, you know, I'm in this same boat trying to figure out these things. But in, in many ways, thankfully, everyone of mine, you know, my family and those dear to me, we're all well, we're all fine and healthy. Um, and the situation is concerning, but I'm also finding it quite fascinating from a behavioural point of view, from a sociological point of view and a psychological point of view. And I am taking that perspective from it and trying to find uh, a way where I can contribute something, where I can find or continue with purpose and so on. Um, But I'd like to say I've been in this kind of weird bubble where I've not felt like doing much or, or, or everything's kind of changed and it's almost like I've been coming to terms with the loss of what we had you know almost like mini grieving mini, mini, mini grief for that that old life and, and, and in, in any loss because we have lost certain freedoms we have lost the ability to do certain things you know people are losing jobs or their businesses are threatened or what they used to have has changed so much that you could argue that it's it's gone certainly in its old form and a degree of you could say mourning for that may be appropriate so long as that mourning process is a process and is there to help you move through it and that's what I've done and I've got to this point now where I've got more direction and I'm beginning to you know, find a bit more structure with schooling my girls and find more structure. And so, you know, in terms of what we can do to try to get a bit more energy back during our days, the first thing is, is like I say, to be able to manage our own expectations, not beat ourselves up, because that is wasted energy and beating ourselves up and um, expecting to be able to operate at a s- to the same standards as before all this setting ourselves new standards, more realistic and appropriate standards, and then working to them, but knowing what they are. You know, teaching my kids, it's not good enough. Well, define what good enough is, specifically and measurably, and then work towards that. Um, So that's one thing. And I'm sure you've probably seen everywhere that everyone's talking about establishing new routines, creating new structure in your life. 
in itself, to do that takes a lot of effort and energy. Certainly when trying to get, say, young'uns into, into a bit of a routine and certainly when you're trying to get yourself into a new routine. And, and my recommendation would be to keep that flexible. Okay, as I'm look, I'm sat here in my van, um, found a quiet space. I'm looking out the window and I can see a tree blowing in the breeze. And it reminds me of uh, that kind of Eastern saying, the tree that is unbending is easily broken. So the tree has got solid, firm roots, but it yields and it shifts. It's still got its objective of growing and reaching, but you've got to be flexible in, um, in how you approach that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so understand and accept that trying to implement a new routine or a new structure is going to take energy in the front end. Uh, as I sometimes call this, like this... Um, activation energy the energy required to start anything always um, seems and is is quite high but the energy required to start something and get something going isn't the same amount of energy required to keep it going okay um, so just trust that um, and that implementing a new routine is going to be hard but in the longer term it's going to be worth it but build in a degree of flexibility so much has changed in the last 30 days and so much is likely to change in the next 30 days too. Um, so like I say, managing your expectations, um, accepting that you're not going to be as productive as you were, but setting new standards for yourself, like realistic ones, ones that serve you, um, cutting yourself a bit of slack and like I say, persevering with the implementation of some new routines and because so many of our routines have all been thrown out the window the idea of trying to create a whole host of new ones that you spent months and years either consciously or subconsciously creating just through your behavior to try and recreate all of those let's face it i'd be daunted at that so all i'm looking to do is to pick one and go with that. Just create one new routine. Whether you go for easy wins, so you create something really easy and simple and you just pick whatever would be the easiest thing to set up. Whether that is deciding on what day you're going to go shopping. Because again, the shop's opening hours have changed. When you can go in has changed. How you go into shop has changed. But being able to pick one aspect that you can control, set up a routine around that, and away we go. Know what you're going to go and shop with and just create and work on one routine at a time rather than trying to juggle a dozen. Or alternatively, you can, like I say, you can either go for that easy early win or you go for the big domino approach, which is the biggest routine to set in place, which is the biggest current energy leak you have. Maybe that's your work. Maybe it's the homeschooling. Um, maybe it's your, like say your productivity at work and being able to create a routine and structure with that one will then have a positive knock-on effect on all the others but obviously when you deal with those big dominoes that will then knock down all these other dominoes more effectively that's going to take more work so you've got two different approaches there easy early wins or attack the big domino depending on how you're doing and where you are um, with your mental energy and your 
your current situation. So just a few thoughts there on on tiredness, on um, you know why we're feeling more tired during the day generally, and hopefully that's been of use. So in a mo, we'll get on to part two, which is going to be all focused on struggling to sleep because our minds are racing. Okay, actually, before we go on to um, part two, struggling to sleep, the minute I hit stop on that last section, um, I was reminded of some other aspects that's going to make us potentially feel more tired um, during our days. And that could be um, because of what we're eating, because of the changes in our eating habits. Okay, I know from at least one comment and from looking at um, our own eating habits as a family. You know, I've been eating far more starchy carbs than I normally would do. And what I find that has to me is I end up with kind of like energy slumps off the back of it. Now, we don't do um, kind of cakes and biscuits and sweets and such like in our household. So in terms of sugar crashing and so on, that's not um, a big problem for us. But because I don't tend to eat a lot of starchy carbs whenever I do I do feel more sluggish and then because I'm at home more because I tend to be bored I am tending to graze more and eat more kind of starchy carbs both a out of boredom and b um, from a comfort food point of view and like I say I had somebody comment on this in a Facebook post as well about how they um have had to eat different things because they can't get what they would normally do. And obviously, whenever you change your diet, diet or your nutrition has a massive effect on how you will feel. And I'm not just talking, I eat a cake, I feel great. That's short term, but longer term, if we are finding ourselves, A, being bored, or certainly in these times needing to comfort ourselves a bit more, the justification, the rational lies, Asian, of having a takeout, having a pizza, eating some cake, eating some crisps, whatever to cheer ourselves up is going to be, you know, more profound. It's, it's easier to justify those things. Look, you eat what you want to eat, but don't expect to be able to eat a load of sugary stuff, a lot of kind of refined starchy foods and still feel great in the long term so it might just be another thing because these things can creep in and they start off as a bit of a coping mechanism for the first you know week 10 days then they quickly become habit and then you look back and you go my god look at that we've just been eating or I've just been eating you know what I normally wouldn't eat or I've ramped up the amount of you know starchy sweet sugary type foods that I've been eating and is anyone that I'm actually feeling a bit crap? I'm feeling a bit more sluggish. Now, for me, I know I don't tend to eat. I don't eat bread. I don't miss cakes and sugary things. And, you know, I used to be addicted to sugar. I used to be addicted to Pepsi Cola. I would drink like two and a half litres of an evening and not even blink. Um, and still sleep. You know, it just wouldn't touch me. Um, you know, I was 15 kilos overweight at one point. I've now got to this point now where I don't tend to eat bread. And it's probably bread that I miss the most. But if I do happen to eat some bread, 
you know, if I've had a little bit of bread, and normally it's like organic home meal um, stuff. But if I've had bread, say three or four times in a week, um, I will probably put on a kilo to a kilo and a half by the end of that week through pure water retention. If I don't eat bread for a few days, that'll drop off. So maybe just be have a, have a, a look-see at what you're eating, what your eating habits are, see what you can exchange out and see how that could have a, because I do think that that will have a much more, that that will have a really positive effect on how you're feeling, okay? Because I know when I'm carrying a kilo and a half or two kilos and I'm talking not eating a lot of the stuff, I know how that makes me feel come the end of that week of doing so and the difference. Um, but that's just a little thing. Whatever you're drinking, you know, whether you're up in your water or whether you're not up in your water, whether you're drinking differently, you know, the amount of caffeine you're drinking can have a, an effect if you're just home more and so you're just into the habit of making more cups of tea or more coffee, um, just out of boredom and you're having more coffee later in the afternoon, again out of boredom, whether you can switch that up for some decaf, whether you can just tweak that a little bit. Again, we're looking for kind of marginal gains to make us feel better and, and, and increase our energy and our ability to think clearly, because that's ultimately what the knock-on consequence of feeling more tired during the day is we're not as able to think clearly we're not as productive and then that just leaks more energy and then we don't feel as confident and then we get a bit more irritated and then we snap when we shouldn't be snapping and then we feel guilty and it's this is compound loss and to try and deal with it all in one hit seems too much so all i'm suggesting is we go for a compound marginal gains take a look at what you're eating tweak it Take a look at what you're drinking. Tweak it. Take a look at how often you're on social media and just kind of feeding off all these various comments that are coming through, some of which are way not factual. How much time are you spending watching the news? Possibly too much time. I get to the point now where I watch the headlines, I'll maybe watch the daily briefing and then I will turn it off. Because if I get sucked into that, I can hardly be surprised when I'm feeling pretty crap. When I'm looking at what's going on in other countries where I have zero control over what goes on. Doesn't mean I'm not concerned and I'm not, uh, it's striking the balance, so I don't want to sound callous, but it is outside of my control. Me spending and wasting energy worrying about something I cannot control is not going to help me when I do need to control the things I do need to control. When I need to maybe face that phone call to the utilities company, when I need to put in that application for, I don't know, tax credits or something and that's a real, you know, it's going to take a lot of effort to do because it's new and it's unusual. Being able to protect your energy is key. And hopefully this first section of um, the podcast has maybe just highlighted where um, and why we're, we're not feeling so great. 
right now, obviously it's pretty obvious the bigger picture and also areas in which we can take control of and try to increase the marginal gains and gain back some of that energy. I'm not going to lie to you and say you're suddenly going to be bouncing around like, you know, some five-year-old after eating a packet of Haribo. No, but we're looking to try and stack things in our favour. Right, let's get on with this part two. Okay, part two. So in this section, we're going to look at struggling to sleep. And I've had it on a couple of occasions. Um, Now, because of what I do, I have a pretty well-developed toolkit. And I'm often more fascinated by my physiological responses. That sounds really weird than I am concerned okay um so I think we were just about to come out of we had two weeks of self-isolation um the youngest um got sent home from school with a cough it was a wet cough and it amounted to nothing after a couple days but we took the precautions stayed home for two weeks um and then at the end of that you know we were the evening of day 13 next day we were going to be out um whatever it was we're going to be coming out and going shopping first time in two weeks and the night before I had this kind of sensation in the chest you know a bit of a bit of a tightening and a tension in the chest and um and I'm like well that's interesting and I'd had this once before and I'd received some news and so I kind of recognized it and I'm not having a heart attack but I recognized it as a physiological response to something and it's my body telling me to be aware of something so I'm there going well this is interesting you know I've got this tightness in the chest well, what am I concerned about because I couldn't think of anything on my mind but obviously the next day in that two weeks that we were in self-isolation the world and our country and the community had changed so much that then now we were going to go back out in in what was going to be a very different, um, potentially, a very different environment. The the way that we shopped was going to be very different indeed. And so there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unfamiliarity, certainly wasn't going to be convenient or or easy. Um, And I kind of had this, this, this kind of tension. But instead of focusing on it and then it growing... You know, I I used the application of some fact and some truth and some logic and asked myself some questions. Okay, what what what's going on here? What maybe am I concerned about? You know, what is currently about to happen? Okay, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And just by being able to kind of ask some questions, the type of questions I could find answers to. Okay, that's effective questionings rather than, you know, um, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, that's a statement, I suppose. What am I going to do? Can you answer that question? It's quite vague, you know. So being able to ask yourself questions that you can answer using fact and truth and logic. You know, um, and so I just planned out what I was going to do the next day. I 
managed my expectations into how things were going to be. I kind of forward projected and imagined, okay, this would be like this, this is this, and just, again, like I say, applied some fact and truth and logic to it, did some deep breathing exercises, did some box breathing, changed my facial expression, made sure I removed tension from my shoulders, and felt a lot better pretty quickly and was able to sleep. Um, but let's get into this struggling to sleep thing and having our minds racing. Um, and again, if this is something that's, that's you're experiencing um, and if you need some help with that and from whatever I say in this, you think that I can do that, then just like I said at the beginning of this, just get in touch. Or maybe it's not me, maybe it's another organisation you want to go speak to. It's better to be proactive and kind of nip it in the bud if you're at that stage. Um, certainly better to go and deal with it before it does get too much. Or if it is at too much, well, then you definitely need to go and, um, you know, get some help. You are not alone. Lots of people are experiencing that. Um, and there is no failure or judgment because we are if I had a pound for every time somebody said this we are in unprecedented times okay all the old rules are out the window um, so if we're struggling to sleep it's a couple of things I would suggest looking at okay everybody's situation is going to be different these are generic if you want something more specific let me know one as I've alluded to in, in part one, is seriously look at the amount of news you are consuming. Whether that's via social media. Social media really should be to entertain, inspire or educate. If you come off whatever social media feed and you're feeling angry or frustrated or concerned, you've got to ask yourself why you're on there. If you're using social media to connect with friends, brilliant. To provide support with friends, brilliant. But if you're just scrolling through stories and these various clickbait things that come out and, and looking at pictures of empty shelves and these people that are, you know... Um, massively hoarding or you know panic buying and you, those are the things you naturally you know uh, click on and read that is not going to help you sleep if you are spending a lot of time looking at the news and watching the same news again and again and again and i get why we do that because we're looking for something new and different and some glimmer of hope we're looking for some good news maybe or alternatively that part of our brain that wants to keep us safe, that part of our brain, the chimp, if you've listened to the chimp paradox or if you followed um, any of my previous work, you know, kind of the amygdala um, and so on, that part of the brain receives all information first. Okay? And its job is to keep us safe. And right now, when we're, you know, taking in a lot of news about deaths and, and infection cases and, you know, all of this negativity, which the media knows that's how people work and that's what they provide. 
I'm not saying that they are providing an overly negative state of affairs, but they tend to play on it more because they know that's what people look at. And they want viewers, they want readers, they want clicks, like anybody else. Um, and you can tell that by some of the questions that come across just after you know, the, um, the official government broadcast and some of the questions, you see that they're trying to get, you know, sensational headlines. They're trying to, um, you know, provocate the, these, these kind of something they can put on that, that catches people's eyes um, as they're scrolling or they're just picking through, you know, various inputs, something that stands out. And we are drawn, to, we tend to be drawn to look for the negative because we're looking to protect ourselves. And, you know, that part of the brain wants to protect us. And then we get into this thing where we, we think a certain thing and then we will look for things, a confirmation bias, where we will look to then reinforce what we initially think about a situation. Okay. So if we're struggling to sleep at night, that will invariably mean that our brains are obviously concerned and they're trying to process all of this information that we're trying to deal with. And as we've mentioned before, we've got so much that our brains are trying to deal with now in terms of dealing with a lack of routine, dealing with these, this unseen threat, dealing with uncertainty, un, you know, a lack of familiarity, a lack of convenience, a lack of ease, things aren't soon. You know, they're long off. We don't know when this is going to finish. And all of this is going to cause us, give us much more for our brains to process. Okay? And we can help it. Now, if you're struggling to sleep at night, doing what I'm about to suggest is not going to take time that you don't have because it's time just spent there kind of worrying or you'll end up going, oh, I'll try and distract myself. I'll get back on my phone. And as we know, screens will affect our ability to sleep. Okay? So jumping on the screen, you know, jumping on whatever to try and distract yourself is going to make it worse. It's not going to make it better. You know, if you're on your phone and you're going to plug into something and listen to something soothing or listen to a story or listen to some fiction or listen to something which takes your mind off, then so be it. That's that's a good use of your phone, maybe being able to listen to something. Yeah. Or maybe reading a book so you can tire your eyes and you can engage your mind fully and appropriately. Um, then that's useful. But the other thing I would strongly recommend that is proven to work, proven to work in such circumstances, is get a notebook, not a phone or a laptop or a tablet or anything like that. Get a notebook and a pen or a pencil. I don't care what you write with. And whatever is in your mind, how rational, irrational, how big or how small, put it down in paper. Because basically it's racing around your mind because that part of your brain is basically trying to say, deal with this, deal with this, deal with this. We need to deal with this. This is a threat. This is a problem. This is a concern. And it's not letting you go to sleep because it feels you should be dealing with it. It doesn't feel that it's able to do its job until it's dealt with these things, until these 
concerns have been processed. And one way you can do that is it's literally like you're saying to that part of your brain, going, okay, I appreciate that. That's a really useful thing you've just told me. I'm going to write it. It's so important. I'm going to write it down in my book. The act of writing in a book is very kind of frontal cortex, okay? It's very rational and logical and it's slow and steady and it's um, slow thinking rather than fast thinking, okay? And you write it down. It doesn't matter how big or how small or how inconsequential, how daft it is. You're not sharing this, you're not expert, you're just writing it down and capturing it. And if you lay back down and another thought comes up, you open up your book and you write down another one, Okay? And you can also answer, and you can also put down there a couple of questions. Can I deal with this right now? Yes or no? No. Okay, can I deal with this right now? No. And you write it down. Don't ask. The problem is you've got too much in your head, okay? And we need to get it out. Trying to sit there and outthink a thought certainly the part of the brain that's created the thought, the concerns and the the sending the mind racing is far stronger. So what we need to do in the act of writing things down shifts blood flow from one part of the brain to the frontal cortex, the more calm and rational part of the brain. So being able to write stuff down. Also in some way seems to appease that part of the brain that's going, we need to deal with this. And you're going, okay, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to take it so importantly, I'm going to write it down. Now, if you're sat here dismissing that, going, that won't work. That won't work. I've tried it. How many times have you tried it? Once? Okay, what, did you write it down once and then not bother? You lay back down and go, oh, my mind's still racing. Every time your mind is racing, you stand up and you write it down. It might take you ten times writing stuff down. It might take you five, seven, ten nights of doing it. Part of our concerns right now is that we have a lack of certainty, we have a lack of routine and things, we don't have an end point. Even though we've got this three weeks or 12 weeks thing, we don't necessarily have an end point to it. And that in itself is unsettling. We like things to be soon and certain and safe and comfortable and easy and familiar and right now probably most of those things seem gone but we can build much of that back in we can create a routine of having a notebook and jotting down whatever is going through our head we're not trying to solve it by writing it down we are looking to merely capture it and transfer it out of our head and into the book if it keeps cropping up the intensity of those thoughts are a lot higher. It just means that the intensity or the amount of writing that we do needs to up. Now, whether you, you write down something and you apply, you know, if you, some either Byron Katie stuff, which is the work, Google that and have a look, see. But my simplified version of that, it just literally, if I come up with a statement that's concerning me that's disturbing me that's scaring me or keeping me awake like you know I'm going to lose my parents 
two things. Can I do anything about that right now? No. What's the likelihood of me losing my, you know, is it true? Is it true that you're going to lose your parents? Well, certainly is it true tonight? Uh, Now, if you have got a parent that is sick and they are in hospital, then the answer could be very different. But equally, the answer going back to going, what can I do about it right now? You can get some rest so that you're in a better position to help yourself and the rest of the family. So that if you are able to speak to them, you can speak to them in a, in a, in a better state. Okay? That you don't add to their worry. Because they will be worried about you, although you are worried about them. But equally, like for me, my parents are fine. Am I going to lose my parents? I am going to, is it true? No. Give me three logical, factual reasons why it's true that you're going to lose your parents, say tonight or right now. And of course I can't. And the act of doing so again causes us or calls us to use fact and truth and logic. And it's a key tool of being able to calm that chimp part of our brain to shift the blood flow from the instinctual, the old brain, the fast thinking brain back into the slow human um, part of our brain, if that makes sense. If you want some more help on either the work, I'm not like affiliated with the work, but there's a ton of free resources on I think the work.com. Have a look, see how that works. Or even if you just take the simplified approach of whatever the statement is, make it a single statement. Like, I'm going to lose my parents, and my business is going to go to pot, and we're going to, you know, that, there's a dozen things inside there. You take one. And you ask yourself, what can I do about it right now? Or is it true? Is it absolutely true that that's going to happen like now? And then you write down the opposite. I am not going to lose my parents. Is that true? Give me three logical, factual reasons why you're not going to lose your parents. You know, and you can just kind of start to think of think differently and apply a different perspective to situations as you go forward. So that's one um, kind of way of thinking in terms of if you can't sleep and what we can do about that with your mind racing is it's being able to get those thoughts and get them onto paper. Okay, we can also help in the front end by limiting the amount. Or improving the, well, limiting the amount and improving the quality of information that goes into us. What goes into our bodies will massively affect how we feel. And all of it needs to be quality and the right amount. That goes for liquid, food and information. Okay, what goes in our eyes, our ears, and our mouth will all have an effect on how we feel. I'm not saying we stop certain things, but certainly I found myself doing it where you get drawn into it and you find yourself watching the news for an hour and all they're doing is repeating the same stuff. 
Now, certain bits of news are important to be aware of. Certain aspects are important to be aware of, but you could probably get that same information if you went straight to, say, the NHS website or the government website, where you get given fact and direction and advice and support and guidance rather than headlines, clickbait almost, and so on. But being able to understand why we do these things is the first part. Okay. Also creating some patience and empathy for yourself and it's just a natural response. Your brain is trying to do the best it can in the current situation, given what it's got to deal with. Cut it some slack and help it out. Cut yourself some slack. And the same with other people, getting frustrated with other people that are struggling with a situation. They're just doing the best they can with what they have. Doesn't mean that we can't do differently and doesn't mean we can't do better. But right now, given their current energy level, skill set, um, routines, practices, the amount of input into their bodies, they're doing the best they can. Okay, a bit of patience and empathy will go a long way. Like I've said, if I can help with anything, then let me know. Okay. Um, hopefully you've gained some benefit from this. If you think other people would benefit from it, give it a share. Okay. Um, you know, my aim through all of this, I've got a, I think a Facebook Live next Tuesday, the 7th. Um, aimed mostly at those in the fundraising sector. Um, but obviously anybody, it's on Facebook Live, anybody can kind of jump on that. And I'm also running a Zoom session, a private Zoom session for a, a fundraising group. And as somebody said, you know, I don't know how many people will turn up. And I'm like, well, if one person turns up and they get a benefit out of it, then it's worth it. Um, as much as unprecedented is said, often, the fact that we've got to pull together and do what we can in small ways here, small ways there, um, is also very commonly and is very commonly said and is also very true. Um, like I said, I hope this has been useful. Um, appreciate you taking your time out to listen and speak to you soon.